You're listening to the Hindu Business Line's Field Notes podcast with T.R. Vivek. Hello and welcome to another episode of Field Notes, the weekly podcast from the Hindu Business Line on all things agribusiness. I'm your host, T.R. Vivek. Today, we are going to be talking about yet another horticultural crop of which India is by far the top producer in the world. It's a super food, super tasty. It is super profitable for farmers, grows all year round only in India and prefers hot and arid places. And we don't have a dearth of such areas. I'm talking about pomegranate. Uh, the last In the last decade or so, there's been a sort of mini boom in uh, pomegranate production in India. We now produce roughly about two and a half to 2.75 million tons compared to just about a million in 2010 which is why the fruit, which once was pretty expensive, can now be found at every street corner, often selling for less than 100 rupees a kilo. That said, India has barely scratched the surface of maximizing the health, ecological and commercial profits from the exports that pomegranates offer. To talk about how this could be done, I'm joined on the show today by Pankaj Khandelwal, the founder and chairman of INI Farms, one of India's largest fruit exporters. Pomegranate accounts for nearly 40% of INI's revenue. INI itself is a fairly interesting company founded in 2009 by Pankaj and Purnima Khandelwal, uh, who had very little agricultural background. Pankaj is a computer science graduate from IIT Kanpur and studied at uh, IIM Calcutta. And his professional career was spent mostly in management consulting with blue chip firms like McKinsey and Company. Why and how then from the rarefied echelons of uh, pinstripe suits and high strategy to the rough and tumble of what is among the toughest places in the world to do business in, the Indian agricultural market. Let's get talking. Welcome to Field Notes, Pankaj. How are you? Thank you, Vivek. I'm good. How are you? I'm very fine. Thank you. Pankaj, first tell us about your foray into agriculture and how did you come to form a company like uh, INI with very little background in agriculture itself? So, Vivek, there are uh, two parts to that answer. One is how one becomes an entrepreneur in the first place and second, why agriculture. Right? So, for me, interestingly, Ponima, who is also my wife, uh, comes from a business background and she was very clear that she wanted to be on her own. right? So, as you said, I used to work as in a professional profile earlier. And then in 2003, we actually decided to start on our own. Mm-hmm. And that basically was, for lack of anything better, I would say we started as a consulting firm. Mm-hmm. And as a part of the consulting firm itself, we got opportunity to actually understand and work in horticulture space very, very close. Mm-hmm. And then once I had spent about a couple of years in that, I realized that this is where our passion lies. And this I'm still talking of 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. when agriculture wasn't really something uh, you would have professionals leaving their jobs and getting into it full time or was funded kind of space, right? It was very early days. However, we were actually very clear that this is something that we want to make our career in. This is something that we felt really, really passionate and excited about. The reasons being fundamentally the kind of impact that this sector creates. You know, just by doing your job properly, you are actually impacting lives of millions of farmers, right? It's it's quite amazing how the additional 10,000 rupees, which people coming from urban background may or may not have that much value, but that 10,000 rupees for a farmer and the family, what it means was a realization, actually, unless you've gone through it and you've seen it, it is impossible. The second realization was that actually this is something that can be done. I mean, it, it's not that, you know, just you coming from a perspective that, okay, this is good to do. It's actually, we realized was that Indian agriculture and especially horticulture, there was so much more to be done, whether it was in terms of knowledge, working with the farmers, 
creating the supply chain right so the solution was something because of our international exposure we understood that this is something that can be done and mm-hmm. at scale right so when you club all these three things together where the impact plus the fact that you can make a difference plus at scale it actually made all the sense for us right so while it i would say it was not the most sought after sector especially coming from technology background where i came from this was something which wasn't an obvious choice but it was very clear that it was a choice that we uh, made and we wanted to do so that's how life took us to horticulture it wasn't planned but once we reached there we knew this is what we want we got into it by chance there was a client of ours who was europe based who actually was exploring agriculture space in india purely from an impact perspective so that got us into horticulture space after that we did work with the multiple organizations and one of them was much more closer it was nearly a 3 year uh, engagement for us where four of my team members and me actually went and helped the founders and promoters to run that company but pankaj how do management consultant manage to do it i mean without a background in agriculture advising companies that are in this space what you need to understand is uh, what you know and what you don't know right of course we don't have domain knowledge right mm-hmm. that's it would be foolish for me to say that i understood yes today after 15 years i can say that i understand a bit of what i'm talking about mm-hmm. i i didn't have domain knowledge but the capability was fundamentally in terms of analytical skills ability to build relationships international so just to give you a sense why it made sense right as mm-hmm. we are speaking about it the founder was fundamentally coming from a rural background of this particular company he knew how to grow products right he was coming from a farmer background but he didn't know how to build a supply chain how to think about infrastructure how mm-hmm. to think about building a export oriented supply chain how do you build relationship and do your sales so if you only think of it purely from the domain knowledge of saying how to grow fruits i didn't know anything about but yes we knew enough and more about infrastructure about international transactions that's the kind of knowledge that we brought into this and the business requires both of them right the financial skills marketing skills sales skills but yes if i started to think that i can teach the farmer how to grow bananas i knew that i would fail on that completely but i knew how to take banana to the international market and sell it pakas tell us about ini farms since your start in 2009 give us a sense of how large the company is and what kind of commodities does it deal in so just to understand ini farms i would like to probably share a bit about our philosophy and how we started and what is the background of this right we basically said that the most important thing is to build the entire supply chain from the farmer to the consumer and that's where india's problem lies it's not that uh, we have amazing agro climatic conditions right when the mm-hmm. fruit is on the tree it's probably amongst the best in the world mm-hmm. but our ability to take it from the farm to the consumer is where the problem lies right lack of infrastructure lack of post harvest supply chains understanding of international market so that's where it was important to understand but what it meant was that we would end up being very deeply involved into specific products Mm-hmm. and that was the fundamental philosophy that we will deep dive into specific products solve for them completely and then move into a new product right so the choice that i'm talking about is whether we should have got into you know 50 different fruits and vegetables and work on it all of it together or actually pick one at a time and solve for it we went for the focus obviously we decided to get into products which are around the year because infrastructure wise it makes all the sense utilization of infrastructure is very important so seasonality is a very important aspect and that led us to choose pomegranate and banana 
as the two products that we will really could you could you explain that a bit the ability to use the infrastructure all year round what does it mean and why these two commodities so what happens is that the infrastructure is a physical thing right and we are dealing with perishables so the ability of an infrastructure to service a particular location is limited typically you will see that the infrastructure should be within a 200 kilometer radius when you say infrastructure would it mean say just to take an example would it mean say a cold storage for okay. some fruits that's right so in our context the infrastructure starts first from logistics perspective mm-hmm. uh, how do you get the fruit from the farm to your pack house then the entire packing operations where sorting grading final packing is done then you would have pre cooling cold storages and being unloading infrastructure that's what you are talking about and then again logistics infrastructure come into play because mm-hmm. whichever markets you need to take it so it's a combination of fixed infrastructure which is basically cold storages and packing houses and you have the logistics infrastructure which is the moving so what was important was the problem that happens in perishables is that because you are a seasonal product if i were to let's say get into mango right i would have to create an infrastructure in devgarh and ratnagiri because that's where alfonso is grown then you would have to do kesar which is of course part maharashtra but large part of it is in gujarat if i have to do dashery i have to go to up right and each one of them if they are one or two months product what do you do for remaining 10 months right mm-hmm. with that infrastructure because you have people you have the physical cost of the infrastructure getting created this industry works when you can utilize the infrastructure for 80% capacity right then the efficiencies start to come in mm-hmm. now therefore we had to get into products which were round the a location is basically growing that product 12 months and that's the interesting part where you did mention that india is the only country in the world where pomegranate is grown round the year mm. everywhere else in the world it's actually a seasonal product right and that too is maharashtra centric for us because we are mumbai based company and anyway uh, so, maharashtra accounts for about 80% of the produce 75 80% of all the pomegranates yes. in india it used to like 10 years back it was almost 90% today mm-hmm. it would account for about 60 65% because a lot of other states have caught on in a big way whether it is gujarat rajasthan madhya pradesh karnataka always used to grow a bit of it so the other 10% was always from karnataka but andhra tamil nadu so if you really look at the expansion that has happened over last 15 years or so of this mm-hmm. commodity it's phenomenal right so mm-hmm. maharashtra yes even today it's 65% is produced in maharashtra but yeah it was 90% about a decade ago carry on you're talking about uh, the infrastructure creation for yes. and, and the availability of fruits all year round for both banana and pomegranates yes given that we decided to be in specific product right the other way to use infrastructure is one month you use for mango next month you use it for grapes if it's possible right but mm-hmm. that's a complex set of operation for us we said that we will solve for the entire supply chain work with the farmers very very closely help them improve productivity and quality so it was a long term approach that we took and therefore we needed products which were round the year products mm-hmm. right so that you know the entire supply chain can work and that's where pomegranate banana kind of auto selected themselves because very few products you are aware fruits uh, very few fruits are actually round the year right most of them are seasonal in nature mm-hmm. so from that perspective we chose these products there was also the other angle which was in terms of what was happening right so it's not just about the fact that you can grow or you can manage the supply chain it is also about what the markets are looking for that's the third element that you need to look at and pomegranate was of course in the asian cultures it's been a known fruit ek anar so bimar right all of us have grown with that kind of stories and of course it was a super premium right it it would come into your household when you were young kids at that point of time it would come only when someone was sick right because it was supposed to have so much therapeutic value but very expensive 
Now that is something in Asian cultures was always known, but in the Western cultures, this is actually a relatively new thing for them. It's a super fruit that has happened because of its properties, but this is nearly a 20 year old story, right? So when we were looking at this, we realized that India is the only country which can produce around the year. Everywhere else, it is like two month, three month crop. The second important thing was that our fruit is actually very good quality. You can always debate which is the best one, but there's no doubt about it that Indian fruit is absolutely top rank as far as the varieties is concerned. Mm -hmm. So that was the other advantage we could see. And it was taking that shape of being a super fruit. So the demand was also increasing substantially at that point of time. So that's how we looked at all these parameters and said, yes, these are the products that we want to get into. And of course, pomegranate was where we started the store. Pankaj, tell us in what ways is it consumed in the West? Is it just a table fruit or is it processed? And which are your biggest export markets? So pomegranate, while yes, from a consumption perspective, people want to have it. It's a very difficult fruit to consume. To open it up, it's That's an effort messy, in itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it can really mess your white walls if <laughs> you're trying to open this up, if you're not used to it. So yes, the Western consumer especially finds it very difficult. Yes, the whole fruit always says that there's no doubt about it, but it also has two very interesting usage that you will come across. One is ales, which is the seeds of pomegranate, which is what you actually eat. What we do as a business is we actually take the difficult part of opening the fruit out. We actually open it in India, put it into convenience pack, a hundred gram cup or 200 gram punnet. So there are different packagings which happen. It remains fresh. It's absolutely as if you're opening the fruit at your home and eating it. How it long a, does it stay fresh? At this point of time, we have reached a capability of 19 days. When we started, it was about 12 days. So, so it's these, a, these a, are by vacuum sealed cups. That's right. So there's a full you know, pack know-how and okay. technology associated with, if I were to say tech, of course, is used mostly in IT context nowadays, mm-hmm. but there's a lo- lot of engineering and knowledge associated with improving the shelf life. But we were very clear that we would not use preservatives, right? So it is completely fresh. And basically using and managing the vacuum and the breathing pattern of the fruit is how you manage this. So today it's at about 19 days. So that's the other thing that we created, this convenience pack. Second usage of these convenience packs is basically in a lot of salads, a lot of healthy eating processes. So a lot of restaurants in the world started to use it in a big way. So that's the other bulk packaging that comes into picture. And the last one is actually in juicing. So simultaneously, you must be aware that the entire cold press juice took off in a big way over the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. Internationally, that's been a big reach. And therefore, again, in pomegranate, that became a very big part of our business where a lot of juicers across the world wanted to get this. Or the hard work has already been done in India. So from that perspective, it becomes a very high value product for these people. But the usages, as I said, are whole fruit, in-house consumption, consumption in salads, and also in juicing. As I mentioned in my introduction, there seems to have been a mini boom in the production of pomegranates in India over the last decade. What has changed? And despite the doubling or tripling of production, we seem to have barely scratched the surface. So it's a very interesting case study if you were to look at it. So what happened, of course, was part of it, the entire ecosystem evolved, right? Whether it is from a communication perspective or the infrastructure perspective, for farmers to learn from each other, but also organizations like us, ours coming in and actually standardizing the production system. While the knowledge always existed with specific farmers, we actually codified it. We put it into a set of processes so we could actually go into Gujarat, into Rajasthan and help the farmers actually improve their production techniques and ensure that they also start to achieve production standards which are of the same quality 
as it was done in Maharashtra by a few farmers, right? Expansion into Maharashtra happened. So a combination of these things where organizations like ours came into picture, the government started to promote pomegranate in a very aggressive manner. So if you look at the work that happened in Gujarat and in Rajasthan, they realized that the microclimate and the environment was suitable for pomegranate to be grown. They started promoting that with the farmers. A lot of work happened in training, educating, taking those farmers from these places, getting them into Maharashtra, working with other farmers, educating. So a lot of education went into that. The way Indian ecosystem works is that one farmer learns from his neighbor, right? So you start to build clusters around this entire thing. So in Kutch, a massive cluster has emerged. In Mm -hmm. Rajasthan, if you look at in Barmed, in next five years, you'll see extremely large cluster emerging into that particular area, right? So it's a combination of India's strength as agroclimatic condition, the development of the infrastructure, micro level are uh, kind of organizations coming in, farmer training, farmers having access to all that. I mean, they have a problem. They can reach out to my supervisor sitting in Maharashtra today, right? So all these things have really helped us where this fruit, because it is in massive demand, it is a super fruit, consumer was not a problem. It was actually the production system, which was a problem. So once you've solved for it, it actually grew dramatically, right? From about a million tons of production, we've already hit two and a half million tons in like 10 years or so, right? So it's it's a fascinating journey that we are talking about. At the same time, economic growth has ensured that the fruit demand has gone up. So it's not, we're still not able to meet the demand. So there's so much more upside to be had by growing it uh, much more and expanding it to a larger number of farmers. We're still scratching the surface, as you said, Picot. Mm-hmm. I hear stories of you know uh, pomegranate giving better profits to farmers. Could you tell us about the farm economics of growing pomegranate? One is the basic economics of pomegranate. The second, we need to take into consideration certain risk aspect of it. So those are the two things that it's important to understand. While it's extremely profitable, you would have enough number of farmers who would have a revenue of about 10 lakhs per acre. And costs close to about, depending on various practices, but between one to one and a half lakh per acre is the cost of production. So it's something which from a profitability perspective, it's a super high profitable product. That is one part. The second part that one needs to take into consideration is a long gestation crop. So it takes three years for the first crop to be commercially productive. Right? Mm. This is a big concern for small farmers because... Obviously, they don't have the ability to not get any produce out for three years, right? So mm-hmm. that becomes a bit of a concern as far as this entire Which thing is concerned. perhaps by default makes it a sort of rich farmer's crop? It's easier for them. Also, uh, otherwise, as a smallhold farmer, I would have to just put, you know, if I own three acres, I would put one acre for palm green, right? So it takes a little longer for them to get the transformation going. But yes, it, it does require investments in the initial years, which tends to be a problem for smallhold farmers. The third thing that, as I talked about, was the risk part of it. This is actually prone to certain fungal diseases. Mm-hmm. And those diseases can actually destroy the entire plantation. Right. So, you know, that, that risk is the other thing that one needs to take into consideration. So when you think of it from a farmer perspective, while at a unit economics level, it is highly profitable crop. It takes longer gestation time. And there is a higher degree of risk of the plantation getting wiped out completely, right? So those are the things that one needs to take into consideration. That's why we advise the farmers not to fully go after it. Yes, it looks more profitable, but having the right balance in terms of managing risk is also very, very important. Is intercropping possible given the long gestation period? So we think that's possible, but also it uh, what it does, it, it increases the complexity of production for the farm. Right. So when you're growing two crops, they would attract different kinds of pests and diseases. 
while it is possible it is a higher degree of technical competence to do it right so we would rather tell the farmer that okay divide your plot into different parts and do it in that manner rather than doing intercropping because in our experience actually it puts the farmer at a slightly higher risk so yeah it's it's a balance it's a question of the competence of the farmer to be able to do it but uh, you know by default we don't specifically recommend that okay you mentioned big cluster which has come up in uh, kutch in gujarat and also other clusters being formed in barmer for example in rajasthan this seems to be an especially water efficient crop and makes me think that quite suitable for for many arid parts of this country that's right it is one of those crops which requires much less water compared to let's say banana or sugarcane and it's also a very sturdy crop so even if you don't give water it water for some time it will not die right so those are the two big advantages of pomegranate and that has helped immensely in growing into areas which are arid it does require water i mean it is not something that you know so even badmer area has developed only after the water from rajasthan canal has actually ended up being there and uh, sufficient water is provided because while the plant would survive the right quality of crop would not come so the fruit requires some water to be given to it to be able to manage it right so it's a combination of things that is required but yes uh, it is it is a crop that requires much less water and has therefore a higher degree of potential to grow in multiple parts of the country pankaj in what ways do you work with farmers do you have contract farming or are you a trader where you aggregate stuff from the farmers and then trade in that commodity so vivek again that's been one of the biggest learning over all these years i would say in terms of how do you work with a farmer in india while initially we started with the idea of fixed price contracts volume contracts with the farmer over a period of time we realized it's a model that does not work in india at all mm-hmm. why uh, does it not work the reason it doesn't work is that farmer actually is in a very from a cash flow perspective when you think of his business is actually in a very difficult situation he puts money or inflows in terms of investments are happening around the year and only one day he gets the crop out now on that one day he has to optimize the value for his farm i mean if he is going to get 1 rupee 2 rupee 5 rupee extra compared to the contracted price actually we cannot blame the farmer for optimizing on that right not everyone does it but the fact is that it's a very bad cash flow business you know money goes in all around the year and output comes only once and something goes wrong he loses everything right, right. so high risk very bad cash flow situation and when he has that opportunity he has to optimize it, right that's the reality of like these are small hold farmers you know earning about 1 1 1/2 lakhs 2 lakhs maximum at an annual level and one time in a year hmm. it's a very difficult situation for the farmer so we realized that our goal was not actually to tell the farmer that you know we are going to buy from you at the fixed price our model changed to saying that we need to buy from the farmer at a premium compared to a prevailing market price so we will always give a premium so the farmer has no reason to go out of our contract right so we take that out completely but for us the quality was very important so why, what is it that i am getting by providing that premium otherwise businesses do not work are, it has to be a give and take and fair to everyone so for us quality was extremely important so our premium can range from 10% to 40% okay compared to the normal market price depending on the quality of food and quality is not just determined by how the fruit looks how does it taste it's a combination of things that one needs to look into and when we define what is a quality it's it's a more complex process of defining quality rather than just the cosmetics or the taste part of it mm-hmm. so what we fundamentally do is we help the farmer improve quality first we do not charge anything to the farmer but it's a relationship building exercise for us we we are vested interest in getting better quality from the farmer once that is done before the harvest we will run all the tests 
determine what grade and what quality is this product of depending on that we define the premium for the farmer and compared to the prevailing market price we pay a premium for the farmer why does it work for us we get an assurance that we will get this volume there's no reason for the farmer to go out we get an assurance on quality it helps us to build a brand out of india a credibility is at stake here it's a natural product you have to have consistently good quality pomegranate coming out of that allows us to build a brand and that allows us to charge a premium in international markets so mm-hmm. that is the positive cycle that works for us where we are able to pay a premium to the farmer and but we work very very closely with the farmers in improving their package of practices quality improvement we have physical teams on the ground who are doing this it's a very high touch model as we call it compared to a low touch model of a call center support or remote support in some sense we are actually on the ground with the farmers why then is there so much opposition to the farm laws and particularly contract farming does the model that ini uses does it have any lessons or any road map for us to be fearless about it and going into models like contract farming i actually believe that this is a model that uh, would help the farmers significantly it's not that uh, you know uh, 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 it's a it's a very complex subject as far as the farm laws itself are concerned no i'm talking uh, specifically the, about the contract farming clauses and the fears around okay it. point with respect to contract farming there, there's no risk to the extent that i know of uh, in terms of the farmers losing their land or anything like that right and now that that is real i've never seen it in my life right so mm-hmm. that is one point that i can talk about ultimately these are all things where contract farming has failed in india largely because of the fact that one or the other party always had a reason to go out of the contract right if i have a fixed price contract the farmer goes and sells it to someone else at a higher price it's a problem uh, for me if i don't honor the contract and not take the produce if the prices are down right because i would also leave the farmer and go to another farmer who am not contracted and take the crop at a low value right so the contracts do not work because of these kind of problems for us it has worked beautifully i can't really comment on what would happen at a global level but over these years two products pomegranate and banana we have managed to put it on to world trading map it's not we have very clear success stories around it and we've done exactly the same rule book we followed we work with the farmers improve the quality and pay a premium to the farmer he he's free to sell to someone else i don't even bind him into selling it to me and i also tell him that listen it's i will buy only if the quality is right that sense it's actually a very loose contract farming model we are not tied into each other but right. it's it's a trust based system and a commercially sensible for both the parties right we are not getting into a situation where if i contracted my banana at 10 rupees a kg if the market price is 12 or 8 what would happen right for me it doesn't even matter we have basically figured out a solution where we don't have to worry about it and the farmer does not have to worry about it. so mm-hmm. from that perspective it's worked very well banana for example it has become a 1000 crore industry in 10 years we used to export zero banana 10 years ago right it is three times larger than mango today mm. of in terms of exports it's one of the massive success stories that we have had in this country and it is largely on account of working together with the farmers right the farmers have benefited organizations have benefited we have created jobs in the rural sector and it's generally i mean more than 40000 tons just in two products we export out of india right so from when you look at it from my perspective it's extremely successful as far as these two products that i've seen very very closely the third one that i can talk about is grapes i am not involved into it but grapes again if you look at it is one of the biggest success stories that we have had the only thing that i can tell you is the common link in all of this is export markets 
where quality makes a lot of difference, right? right? So it's a limited set of farmers who improve the quality and therefore take a premium for their product is what we are able to address. In a commodity like banana, India was always the largest producer in the world, but yet we were not on the export map at all. Absolutely not. I mean, the success has to go to the farmers and organizations like us who have come together and made it work, right? I can't say whether it's worked in potato, whether it is not worked in potato and how it has worked out. But I do think that if the commercial interests are aligned and the goal is not to, from both, from farmers and from us, not to cheat each other, then we find solution. And we've had huge successes on it. You know, there may be many, many failures. We need to learn from the successes more than anything else. How much scope and room is there for India to significantly improve, rather increase the area under pomegranate? Or are there ways in which we could ramp up production even faster? When I look at it from a demand perspective, can we grow, can we consume 5x of the current production? The answer is yes. It's a product which is still you know, very expensive, whether you took it from a domestic market perspective or an export market perspective. So the demand is extremely high, right? A 5x on that is clearly possible. So it's not a demand problem, it's a supply side problem. As I said, the challenge in this is fundamentally the gestation period and the risks associated. So there's a lot of work that is required in solving the financial issues for the farmer. So it becomes, you know, a financial engineering problem rather than just saying that whether we have the right environment and the right land and can we grow it or not. So it's reached that stage, which is good. It wasn't something that we could have spoken 10 years back, but we will have to do some of these ways to solve it for the farmers so that more and more farmers can come into play. But yes, it's, it's actually expanding. Whether can we expedite that? Can we take it to do it at a faster level? I actually believe we can a more concentrated approach. And I'm very hopeful about the one product, one district kind of approach, which is cluster driven approach where, you know, a lot of these initiatives have started to happen. And also the value chain approach that is there in terms of the mindset. What we started about 12, 13 years ago was a value chain approach, right? Where we will work with the farmers, manage the supply chain for a specific product and build international market, right? Specific products. I think that's a mindset shift that has happened. So I'm very hopeful about it, Vivek. And I really think it's possible. It's, it's, a, it's a question of having the right energy and effort in orchestrating it is how I see it. What are the ways in which to sort of untangle the knot that you mentioned about, you know, cash flow issues and high gestation period? See, the, as I said, the problems are twofold. One is how do we ensure that the farmers are covered for the first three years when the gestation period is long, right? So that's a tough problem to solve. But beyond subsidies or at least loans, which are aligned with that kind of thinking process is going to be an important way to think of it from a financial perspective. Because again, if you read the new edible oil and oil palm policy, the government wants to do the same for oil palm, you know, which again has a three-year gestation period and it's trying to work out a rather generous package for farmers who opt for oil palm. A similar story here would make a lot of difference. We don't have those kind of solutions. I'm not aware of this is being done in the horticulture sector specifically with respect to these kind of products. So helping farmers on those kind of situations, one is going to actually open the tap in a big way. The mm-hmm. second thing, which is also financial in nature, is the insurance aspect of it. I think as a country, we're still lagging significantly behind on the agriculture insurance, right? Or mm-hmm. the cost of that insurance continues to be so high that it's very prohibitive that's not just true for pomegranate it is true for almost the entire sector itself what is the rate of failure the pesticide driven failures among the farmers that you work with see the, that depends on crop to crop and the product so for example banana you don't have that kind of problem the crop does not fully fail 
what happens is that there's a quality deterioration. So instead of 10 rupees, the product could become a worth four rupees. I'm talking about pomegranates. You said that the in, entire plantation in case can of be wiped out. Yeah. In case of pomegranate, it's actually a far bigger risk. I would rather say that I've seen about 5% kind of failure in terms mm-hmm. of the entire plantation getting wiped out. There's also issues of pests. So plantation getting wiped out is a complete disaster, right? The entire thing is gone. But a lot of times you also lose a crop in a year. So whether it is a weather-driven incidence, it is a pest-driven incidence, a lot of those things can go wrong as far as that is concerned. So pomegranate is a relatively difficult or a higher risk product. I would rather say that the for a farmer, the chances of losing a crop is about 20% overall. Not mm. the entire plantation getting lost. That, that is about 5%. But the crop being not coming in a year is close to 20%. It's also a problem of some bit of a scientific and a technological breakthroughs that are required in solving these problems. And our systems, there I find it's relatively weak, where that kind of research effort is not really going into in terms of solving these problems. Right. So it's also a next level stage. I mean, I, I don't expect it to be solved yesterday, but yes, mm-hmm. that's a, that's the effort that would be required to make it. Right. What about research at various arms of eye care and uh, the horticulture department? And in what ways do private players collaborate with them to expedite some of the research on right. failure so, prevention? Uh, yeah, so see, there are dedicated research stations uh, that are there. I would rather say the output is not satisfactory at this point of time. And I would also put the blame partly on the private sector mm-hmm. because we're not working together, right? Just expecting research community to come up with solutions without having the entire context and funding support, all that is required. So it's a combination of things. So yes, the research stations exist. Uh, we met a few scientists. So they're definitely dedicated and committed and wanting to solve for it. But yeah, commercially solving every problem, it's a more complex thing than just having people out there, right? So uh, I think the industry and the academia in that sense or the research institutions actually need to work much more closely together. Large amount of funding needs to flow from the government entities into these kind of research work because naturally they are uncertain by definition. These are research projects, right? Mm -hmm. So they have a long gestation period. So a lot of effort would be required to make it work. I would say that it's a combination of what the government, the research station and the private sector needs to do. The farmers independently cannot do it, but we also have to realize that organizations like INI have started to come in into agriculture sector in last just 15 years, right? So it's a natural evolution process is how I see it, but we need to expedite it. It's going to be an ex- extremely important part of next stage of development of this industry. Right. Uh, thanks a lot, Pankaj, for joining us. And I hope that uh, you're able to crack some of these problems and solve for it, because I think this seems a fairly sort of exciting opportunity that we should not let go of so easily. Vivek, absolutely. We've solved a lot of problems. Uh, as a natural product, a lot of them remain. It's a continuous journey, but uh, I agree. It's, it's something that we need to work towards and solve for it. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure we will solve it. So, But it's been a great pleasure, Vivek, speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks a lot. Goodbye, listeners. And until we meet next week, goodbye and God bless.